Good morning. You guys doing well? Are you guys enjoying these cool nights and warm days? Ooh, I like it. Good stuff. Hey, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 4. Gospel of John chapter 4. We're looking at verses 1 through 30. This is our Christmas series, More Than a Baby in a Manger. We're talking about how Jesus is a wonderful counselor to us. Let me start this off by just uh, saying this. You ever get those feelings sometimes that uh, this world is really messed up? You guys kind of feel that sometimes? And, and have you ever overwhelmed by that? Or you just think, wow, this place is really jacked up. And, and why is this place so jacked up? Well, here's my answer. You want to hear my answer for that? It's actually a biblical answer. And uh, so uh, this place is jacked up because uh, countries are jacked up. And countries are jacked up because cities are jacked up. And cities are jacked up because families are jacked up. And families are all jacked up because marriages are jacked up. And marriages are jacked up because people are jacked up. And so why is this place so jacked up? Why is this world such a mess? It's, it's you. <laughs> this place is a mess because of you. Welcome to Desert Breeze. Oh, and Merry Christmas. Yeah, this is our Christmas series. Oh, and I am too, okay? I'm right there with you. But, but you, you got to understand that relationships are only as healthy as the individuals that make up those relationships. Therefore, individual wholeness is the key to healthy relationships. And everything else comes out of that. It's really all about wholeness in Christ. You want to have a healthy marriage relationship? Work on you. Get to know the wonderful counselor. And he is about putting our lives back together, bringing wholeness and healthiness. And then you'll be a part of making a, a healthy marriage relationship, which will help to create a healthy home which will help to create a healthy community, which helps to create a healthy country, which that's how it works. That's just how it works. That's how God has planned it. And so we are in desperate need of the wonderful counselor in our lives. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. And then we're going to dive into this, uh, this topic, really a great section of Scripture. Father God, help us to see that Christmas is more than a baby in a manger. It is heaven invading earth so that earth can experience heaven. It's all about God with us. Matthew one twenty three, as it says, the prophet Isaiah gives us even further insight into the impact of you, God, being with us in our lives. Isaiah 9, 6 tells us that his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so as we encounter you, our wonderful counselor, through the study of your word and communion this morning, lead us from dullness, emptiness, fallenness to fullness of life. We pray in Jesus' name, and everyone said, 
Amen. So let's take a look at this text. And let me just say that it's a, it's a lengthy text, 30 verses. We're going to work through it. I won't comment much. I'm just going to go right back to the notes. And most of what we want to learn is in the notes. But, but I want you to see in this text that you are the woman at the well. I am the woman at the well. Okay? I want you to see yourself in her and I want you to see, and of course, Jesus is Jesus, okay? He's going to play the Jesus part. Jesus is going to play the Jesus part in this story. That makes sense, doesn't it? He, he's, he's the only one that really plays the Jesus part really good, okay? You don't do a very good job of playing Jesus, although we all try to play Jesus. But we mess things up. We're the woman at the well in the story. And I want you to kind of take note She's a little bit like Muhammad Ali fighting Joe Frazier, you know, kind of ducking and dodging and kind of avoiding and uh, trying to sidestep what Jesus is trying to do. And Jesus is trying to take her down to the core of her issues. And so what she does a lot of is deflecting, avoiding, changes the subject, blame shifts. We do the same. And Jesus is trying to get us down deep into our heart because he wants to satisfy our deepest desires and needs because only he can do that as our wonderful counselor. And so as we read through this, just be kind of thinking and watch kind of how she, she does this, how she kind of maneuvers through. And as Jesus is very patient and kind, very non-judgmental. It's just, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture of our Savior. Just continuing to go after her, to love her and to help, and help her to open up to the truth. So we're going to begin reading chapter 4, verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making, baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, it was about noon. Take note. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now, why would she come at this time? Some believe that she had a lot of guilt and shame, as you will see as we work through this story. She came at a time when there wouldn't be as many people at the well. Uh, just to maybe avoid the crowd. And, and oftentimes we have so much guilt and shame in our own lives, just from the junk, from the sins we've committed, the sins committed against us. We tend to avoid people, avoid crowds, don't want to get close. So she's coming here at noon, and lo and behold, guess who she runs into? The woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had, and this is parentheses, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, now notice how shocked she is, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Here's the parenthesis again. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I mean, that's saying it lightly, quite frankly. Major racism uh, in in this culture is related to these half-breed Samaritans. They don't even worship the right God. They're half-breeds, you know, all these different things. And they were just, they were outcast to the society. And here Jesus is reaching out to her. And verse 10, and Jesus answered her. So why would you ask? So she's saying, why would you ask me for a drink? This is crazy. You're going over all kinds of racial and, and social uh, barriers. And notice what Jesus said. This is profound what he says to her. If you knew the gift of God 
and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you had any idea of the gift that God had for you and you knew who you were interacting with, you would ask, you would ask me, you would ask him for this water. Now, you'll see that she doesn't track with him here because immediately the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. He's not talking about that water, is he? You have, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Listen to Jesus's once again, tender words, continuing to, to probe a little deeper, trying to help her to see. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. I'm not talking about this water. I mean, that's a, it's a profound statement. Drink of the water of this world, you're going to be thirsty again. You're not going to find it in romance, finance, you know, bigger job, bigger home. You're not going to find it. Drink of this water, you're going to be thirsty again. That's what he's saying here. And, but he says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Eternal life is not just a quantity of life, it's a quality of life. So when you think of eternal life, it's just not a whole lot of life, but it's a deep, rich, meaningful life. The woman said to him, this is where she's kind of ducking and dodging and, and maneuvering here. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She still doesn't get it, does she? Did you know that our hearts are so hard sometimes that it takes a number, of a, uh, a number of times of hearing the gospel over and over? One of the things that I've seen about Desert Breeze is that people really almost have to come in here. It takes a good three to six months of them hearing the gospel over and over again. And even those of us that are Christians, for it to really take hold deep in our heart. Oh, yeah, I've heard that stuff before. Yeah, but has it taken hold of your heart? That's what he's doing. He's diving deep into her heart here. And Jesus said to her, go, call your husband. He kind of goes with her. You know, he just kind of like, he doesn't try to dispute. And he just kind of going with the flow a bit. He says, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Do you hear any condemnation? Any condemnation in that? No, not at all. He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. You know where that verse is found? John three seventeen. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, but he sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that, but that through him the world might be saved. Listen to me. He's reaching out to you this morning because he loves you. He's wanting you to hear and look in deep in your heart and know in your heart that only he can meet your deepest needs and desires. And he doesn't condemn you. He doesn't come with, with fingers of accusation. He comes with open arms to embrace us and to love us. That's what's so amazing about, about this story. And the woman said to him, this is great, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. <laughs> no kidding. You just read my mail. And you know exactly what's going down in my life. I don't have a husband. I didn't want, she didn't want to go take it any further. I don't have a husband. Yeah, in fact, you've had five husbands. And the guy you're, you're shacking up with now, you're not even married to him. No condemnation. Just kind of revealing this stuff. 
Do you see maybe really a desire, an unmet desire and need within her own life? Why would she have five husbands? And then finally she probably said, I give up on this. I'm just going to live with the guy. There's this longing deep in her heart. Our fathers, and notice how she kind of changes the subject, although Jesus, she's playing right into the hands of Jesus. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Initially, you kind of look at that and you think, well, we can kind of worship anywhere. No, he's saying, no, you're not going to worship here or there. And actually, he's going to say something very profound here. Verse 22, you worship what you do not You do not know, we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23, but the hour is coming. You guys know what he's talking about there? The hour is coming, his death. It's through his death that the curtain in the Holy of Holies was ripped in two. So now we can have access to the throne room of God. We can worship. And the word worship here means this. It means in the Greek, turn towards and kiss. So it's, this, it's a term of affection, that we would, we would express our affection to God because of his amazing affection towards us and his love towards us. He says, but the hour is coming and now here when the true worshipers will worship the, the, the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. He's seeking. If you have a desire for God, it's because he's seeking you. He's drawing you in. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He is called, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, here it is, I who speak to you am he. God in the flesh. Powerful. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar. You can see the excitement. She has this encounter with Christ, left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and we're coming to him. This is the word of the Lord to us. So here's uh, three big ideas here. We're looking at the problem. As our wonderful counselor, he's going to help us with our problem. What is our problem? What is the solution? And what is our treatment to that problem? So the problem is that we have this perpetual emptiness and restlessness deep within our hearts. Every one of us here. The problem is emptiness, restlessness. Let me give you the next fill in the blank. You have a thirst that cannot be met by anything in time or space. Did you notice that in verse 13, what he said? Drink of this water and you will be thirsty again. Okay, you get that job you think you can't live without, you're going to be thirsty again eventually. It's not going to satisfy It'll satisfy for a little bit, but eventually you're going to be looking for another job, a bigger job, a bigger, more money, whatever it might be. That's what he's saying to us. That's the human condition. Here's the next point on your notes. The wiser and more mature you are, the more you will see this to be true. Verse 18, as I stated, all of us are like the woman at the well trying to satisfy our soul with finite things. For you have had five husbands. And immediately we think, oh my goodness, she had five husbands. Well, you have two. 
maybe not five husbands, but you've had maybe five relationships or jobs or toys or homes or cars. Or We've all been really adulterous and, and very promiscuous in our life. It's just been with other kind of counterfeit gods. We all do it. So don't dare point your finger at her. You, you're her. This is you. This is you and I. Searching, trying to fill the void within us with something other than Christ. So we are all her in this encounter with Christ. This is a place where we all, all must be to encounter Christ. I love what Augustine from his confession says. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. There are four things how we can identify this restless. We typically do uh, in avoiding this restlessness inside of us. Uh, we, number one, we blame the things. We blame the things. Well, it's wrong spouse, wrong job, wrong friends, wrong looks. If I just could have this, I know everything would be much better. What is the this in your life? What are you saying that about? I will be happy if I just have this or if I can accomplish that or if I can attain this thing. If I could just get a new job, if I could get a new this or that or whatever it is. We blame things. This will make you a fool. What, do we, what else do we do? We blame, blame yourself. Well, I haven't achieved. Maybe I didn't try hard enough. Maybe I need better training. Well, okay, I made bad choices. This will make you depressed. Blame yourself and it will make you depressed. So blame things, it will make you a fool. Blame yourself, it will make you depressed. Blame the universe. That's just how men are. That's how women are. Huh, men? I mean, we kind of like, well, we just kind of generalize. Or that's just how life is. Don't expect much from life. Life is hard, life is difficult, and so we pump. That'll make you a cynic. You just become cynical. Have you noticed there's a lot of cynicism? Have you noticed that in our society, with a lot of the stand-up comedians and a lot of the late-night uh, talk TV programs, it's just a bunch of cynicism. We're very cynical. And uh, we just kind of blame, blame the universe, blame those people, blame that. But here's what we need to do. Blame your separation from God. So you can accuse or excuse or you can choose and say, hey, I'm going to blame this on the separation that I have with God. And when you look at Genesis 3, Genesis 3 kind of helps you to see this, that when, when Adam and Eve decided that they wanted to play God, they wanted to be God, uh, and they turned their back on God, the, the source of life and liberty and, and soul satisfaction, boy, immediately they went into this place of emptiness and restlessness. And you see this rippling effect in Genesis chapter 3 that spiritual alienation inevitably, listen to me, spiritual alienation will inevitably lead to psychological alienation. It's going to mess you up. You'll try to, you know, and you'll try to pursue all kinds of stuff to, to make you feel, you know, okay, I, I feel better now. And we have all sorts of medications and things that we do. And, and I'm not denying the fact that sometimes you, you certainly need to take medications, especially if there's chemistry issues going on, physiological issues. That's totally appropriate. But, but oftentimes in our lives, it's, we haven't come face-to-face with our maker and allowed him to, to bring satisfaction to our soul. 
And so obviously, the spiritual alienation will, will lead to a soul or a, a kind of personal a psychological alienation, which inevitably leads to a social alienation, which leads to obviously just this physical alienation that we see going on in our world today. And uh, that's why C.S. Lewis said, if I have a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the explanation is I was made for another world. The problem is, is that we, we don't pause long enough between our happiness highs. We just look for another quick fix. C.S. Lewis also said, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. So here's the deal. This is what you got to know before we move on to the next. So we got to understand the problem here. Some of you sitting out there still kind of deny this. But the reality is all around us. If you'll pause long enough and think about it and come to terms with this, this will help to avoid a lot of craziness in your life and a lot of chasing after things that you don't need to be chasing after. A lot of hurt and heartache. You will never, you will never have enough wealth you will never have enough success. You will never have enough comfort. You will never have enough acclaim. Because you're trying to fill a, a void in you that was meant for God in Him alone. Are you tracking with me with that? So what is it that drives your life? Why do you get out of bed in the morning? Is it to, for that paycheck, to live for the weekend? Is it for that bigger whatever it might be, better this or that? Why? What should be driving your life? His glory. Woo! Another day to live for him, to enjoy him, to experience him, to put him on display in my life, through my work, in my worship, in my play. See, that's what should be driving your life. That's what should motivate you. God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in Him. So the fight of faith is the fight to be satisfied in Him. No matter what's going down in your life. To find your deepest satisfaction in Him. So, you need to know this too. Is that counterfeit gods, if you fail them, are terribly unforgiving and even if you get them, are terribly unfulfilling. Because they're unforgiving in the fact that if you say, well, I gotta, I've got to get this kind of education and, and I've got to achieve this status in the workforce. And if you never achieve that status of the workforce, it will beat you to death the rest of your life. That counterfeit God. And even if you do get it, it's still not enough. It's still not enough. Because your heart was meant... To have God in the middle of your life and in your heart. And so here, here's the solution. You know the solution. Jesus Christ. The solution is Jesus. Verse 10, he said, and basically just once again, he said, if you only knew the gift God has for you, the gift God has for you in Christ. In fact, I love that because I was thinking, if you knew the gift that God has for you in Christ, nothing would keep you from him and any cost would be nothing compared to the gain. Whatever it costs you to follow Jesus, if you have to give up certain things to follow him, you'd be crazy not to give up those things when you understood what you have in him. I mean, the gain is amazing to know Christ, to experience him at the center of your life. 
Anybody in their right mind would do that, would give up the junk and quit clinging to the things of this world so you could have your arms opened up to embrace all that he has for you. Verse 14, it says, If you drink it, you will never thirst again. That is, it's always there to satisfy you and will become in you a spring of water. Did you notice how he used a spring? He didn't call it a well, like they were at a well, but he called it a spring of water. Why? Because you can bury a well, but you can't bury a spring of water. There's no amount of pain or suffering or difficulty can ever bury a spring. It'll keep bubbling back up. No matter what you're going through, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, that spring of water will bubble back up in your life. It's just a matter of time. It might be really dark. It might be difficult. You might think this is going to last forever. It's not. It's not going to last forever. That spring of water will bubble up in your life. There are brighter days ahead in Jesus, regardless of what's going down in your life. That's amazing. That's a beautiful picture of what he gives us here as we put our hope and trust in him. Verse 23, but the hour is coming. His death gives us salvation is what he's talking about there. Here's what I love about the gospel. This is, oh my goodness, it just sends me right through the roof when I think about the gospel, the gospel message. The gospel is not good advice on what you must do to reach God, but it is good news of what God has done to reach you. It's not what you must do and then somehow God will save you. No, it's what he has done. Open your heart to him. It's totally the opposite of religion. Religion is all about do. Christianity is about what has been done. And then there's three things we can look at here very quickly. Uh, What is salvation? What is this uh, river of life that we drink from right here? Justification, Christ has set us free from the penalty of sin. Guilt and shame from sins we've committed, sins that have been committed against us, he begins to, he brings healing to us. Uh, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You know what he's saying? That he will never, ever, ever hold your sin against you. Some of you have a whole lot of sins. I know that. I know you, and I do too. And he said he will never, ever hold those sins against you. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's amazing. Why will he not hold those sins against us? Because he died on the cross for all of our sins, paid in full. So I think that alone, we wouldn't have to go any further than that. That alone would bring amazing freedom in our lives and and would rid us of guilt and shame. But we don't live in the reality of it. We need to keep coming back to the well every day to be reminded of of that. Here's the next one is sanctification. Sanctification is Christ is setting us free from the power of sin. That's why it tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will, gives you the desire, and to work the ability for his good Pleasure. This is how you know you're beginning to make progress in the Christian life. So, okay, he's, he's, he has taken care of all of your guilt and shame. 
you stand in right relationship with God, you have peace with God. And so what should happen as a result of that, if you're really believing that, is that the peace of God, peace with God, should be translated into the peace of God that will rule your heart and mind, regardless of what's happening in your life. And then spiritual growth begins to happen. This whole sanctifying process happens when I learn to apply, this is work out your salvation with fear and trembling, When I learn to apply the love and truth of God to my heart, specific to where it is most restless. Where are you most restless? Why are you so anxious? Why did you go off on that person out there when they cut you off on the freeway? What's that all about? Why are you in such a big hurry? Why are you so stressed out? Christ wants to meet you right there. He loves you. Why are you doing drugs? Why do you drink too much alcohol? Why do you smoke pot? I know, medicinal, well, whatever. No, seriously, maybe you do need it for that. I don't know. But maybe you don't. Why do you go there? Why do you, when you feel really bad, you have to go shopping? Or you have to do this or that. You're medicating yourself. Stop medicating just for a minute. Don't use a God substitute. Come to Jesus. Take that restlessness to him. It's opportunity for him to meet you right there where you're at. Pour your heart out to him. Give him your heart. Cast your burdens upon the Lord. And he will sustain you. He will not allow the righteous to be shaken. Oh my goodness. The righteous? Yeah. Those who put their faith in Jesus. It's not mean that you're perfect. It just means that you put your faith in Jesus. Come to him. Come to him. He loves you. So we know that we're making progress. And so, I mean, I'll tell you what. I mean, I'm a, I can be a stressed out dude. And there are things that really stress me out big time. And, and I know that those are beautiful opportunities for God to meet me right there. And I begin to apply this. See, what's happening oftentimes, I pursue these things, and I'm using these as Jesus substitutes. So what am I trying to get out of this particular thing that I'm pursuing? Whatever it is, you can find it in Jesus. Is it acceptance? Is it significance? Is it security? Yeah, but I've got to make sure I've got to have all this money in the bank, and, and if I don't, my wife overspent this last month, that really makes me mad. Wait, 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 wait. Your security is in Jesus. You're trying to find your security in your bank account. Use that as an opportunity. Yeah, you can sit down and talk to her about that and work through that, but don't blow a head gasket. Don't flip out like it's somebody attacking your your God because that's what you're showing. He's your God. You can rest in him. You can respond to things with humble confidence in your life because you have him in your life. See, it makes all the difference in the world and how you respond to the issues of life. That's part of that sanctifying process. We sin because we are looking to something else to give us what only Jesus can give to us. And then glorification. Christ will one of these days set us free from the presence of sin. Man, the older I get, the more I long for that day. That I will come face to face with my Savior who would rather die than to live for all eternity without me and you. Glorification. Amazing. Tells us in Romans 8, 17 through 18, the sufferings of our present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. So, so how does this go from concept to reality, what we talked about? So we got, the, we got the problem, emptiness, restlessness. We got the solution, Jesus. But how do we drive this deep into our heart? 
How do we turn it from head to heart? Here's the treatment. The treatment is worship. It, the word is used ten times here. By the way, you guys remember if you were here, was it, I think, it was, yeah, it was last week, that I made the, the contrast between uh, those that have seen a postcard of the Grand Canyon versus actually standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon entranced by the glory and the beauty. There's a major difference between the two. Would you agree with that? There's a major difference between having kind of a postcard view of God versus uh, being in communion with him in such a way that you are entranced by his beauty and glory. That's what we're working at here. That's what worship does. That's what worship does in our hearts. It gives us an opportunity to be entranced by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is. And that's why they go to this topic here because that's what it's about. Ten times, verse 14 Uh, What does it mean to drink of this water? Verse 24, worship. Here's worship. It's what you do. It's who you are. You can't help but worship. So all of us worship. If you're here and you're not a Christian, guess what? You worship. Christians and non-Christians worship. Everybody worships. Everybody worships. We were created to be worshipers. Now here's our problem is that it says in Romans 125, we exchange the truth of God for a lie And we worship and serve created things rather than the creator. So you're worshiping something. You're going to either worship the creator or a created thing. C.S. Lewis once again says, We're half-hearted creatures fooling with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered us, we are too easily pleased. In this quote, he continues to go on. He says, "We We are like little kids playing in mud puddles when God has a... Holiday at the sea is how he says it. A Caribbean cruise waiting for us. And we'd rather play in the mud puddles. And that's what he's saying. When we, when we look to created things for our satisfaction, we're playing in the mud puddles. And what, what Jesus is saying, hey, time to grow up. I've got something much better for you. It's me. It's you knowing me and experiencing me in your life. If the beauty and the glory of Christ's sacrificial love for us doesn't ravish our heart and take our breath away, something or someone else will. Next point on your notes. Worship is our response and attention, affection, and action to what we value most. It's our response to what we value most, giving our attention, affection, and action. Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is... There your heart will be also. Some of the best examples of worship are outside the walls of the church with no reference to God. How many have ever been to the Cardinals, the stadium? Uh, I forget what it's called, but... Okay. You guys know. Yeah. uh, University of Phoenix. Yeah, there you go. That's right. So, uh, how many have ever been to a game? Cardinals? Okay. How many have ever been to a Suns, Suns Arena? I guess, what's, I don't even know what that place is called. Okay, cool. Uh, whatever you said. Uh, how many have ever been to Diamondbacks game? That's a little bit like watching paint dry, but other than that. Uh, how many have ever been to a, a concert to hear your favorite uh, band? Now, would you think it was weird at a concert or at a game, you know, when your team, you know, just scores a touchdown? And usually when I was there at, uh, watching the Cardinals play, it was a Raiders game, and, and those Raiders are out of control. Raider fans, they're jacked up, okay? It was like a drunken brawl. And I'm just thinking, you know, and, but, but what would you think if somebody was standing out there and, and their team just scored a touchdown? And the guy goes, 
You know what's interesting about that is people, everybody's so excited. Woo! You're high-fiving people you don't even know. You know, you're just going, <laughs> You're going, you're not doing that. You're like right there with them. Even at a concert, everybody's like, woo yeah. And that's for a dumb old concert. Some band from the 60s or 70s or something. Maybe you, okay, that's how old I am. But, uh, but a football game, you'll forget about it, you know, hours after you walk away. Probably. You probably don't even remember who won the Super Bowl this last year. And don't even really care. And yet we come to church and something happened in history that should send us right to the ceiling. That Jesus died on the cross for us. That, that, that is the most amazing truth that because he lives, we have life, life to the fullest. We can drink from the river of life. There is a fullness of life. He has set me free from the from the power of sin. He's in the process of setting me free from the power of sin. He set me free from the penalty of sin. One of these days, he's going to set me free from the very presence of sin. I'm going to be with him for all eternity. I mean, game over. That's good stuff. Praise God. So that's, when we sing these songs, you're going to see some, if you believe that, you're going to see some response. There's going to be clapping. That's what I love about our church because for the most part, you guys do decent job. I think some of you could probably wake up to the reality that God loves you and what he's done for you and you will begin to see a different response because worship rises and falls with our concept of God. And I can typically tell someone that has a low concept of God because they're just quite frankly not too excited about the things of God. And so faith, the foundation of faith is thinking. So my job is to help you to begin to think about these things that are much deeper in your own heart and to see him more clearly so that we can savor him more deeply so that when we leave this place, we can show him to this world more contagiously. See, and that's, that's this whole idea. Worship is our response and attention, affection, and action to what we value most. I heard a pastor not too long ago. He was teaching his congregation. It was a large church here in the valley, and I went to their website because he was teaching uh, something that we were going to be teaching. I thought, oh, maybe a good resource. Uh, and uh, not so much. But anyway, um, and I'm not saying that in pride or anything. It was just like I, I look around to see if there's some good resources out there and guys that are teaching. But this is what he told the congregation. He says, we want you guys to come to this church with the same excitement that you come, that you go to a Diamondbacks game or to a, to a Cardinals game and, and whatever, you know, your favorite concert. And I, I thought to myself, why lower the bar? Why would you lower the bar? Because there's no Diamondbacks game there's no cardinal game. There's no concert I've ever been to that even comes close to, to coming face to face with our eternal God and being captivated by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Man, that is amazing. That is amazing what he's done for us. The God of the galaxies died for you. That sends me right through the ceiling. It puts chills down my back just saying it. I'm just... Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. Thank you that you will never leave me or forsake me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. May my life forever bring glory and honor to you. I mean, that's, and so that's the attitude that we have. That's what worship is. And uh, worship, uh, so let, let me give you the next one. I was getting too excited there. But uh, the essence of worship is heartfelt satisfaction in Christ more than all that life can give or death can take. 
death, death can't even take your worship, can't take the, the satisfaction. In fact, it just, it enhances it. <laughs> when I die, don't be trying to pray me back, okay? Just celebrate. When I go to be with the Lord, I, I don't want to be there with him, and then all of a sudden, I'm back here with you guys. Gee, come on, why do you guys have to do that? In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures evermore. We get glimpses of it here. But man, I'm telling you, you come face to face with your Savior. <laughs> that's it, man. That's it. Game over. It's the way, that's the way it is. Heartfelt satisfaction. Now, three ways. What if you're, you're here and you're thinking, well, I don't have too much heartfelt satisfaction. Well, this is kind of three ways the heart responds in worship to God. And this is how we're going to prepare our hearts for, uh, for communion. We're going to take communion in just a few moments. And this is how we're going to prepare our hearts. Here's what it is. The heart can delight in the wealth of God's glory. As I stated, worship rises or falls you know, with our concept of God. Listen, let me just read these verses. These are the cross-references. Listen to what he says. My soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Psalm 63, 5 and 6. Our worship rises to God moment by moment. When our worship rises to God moment by moment, our hearts become chambers of continuous communion with him. A.W. Tozer. Here's the next one. The heart can long. So maybe you're not there where you're finding that deep satisfaction in God. Well, here's the next one. Your heart can long for the delight to be deeper and more intense and more consistent. Psalm 42 One through two. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? You know what's happening here? God is a concept. He's lost the reality of God. He's crying out. He's longing. He's saying, God, right now I just have have a postcard view of you. God, I want to stand on the edge and be enthralled by your beauty and majesty. Oh, God, I need that. I long for that. He's praying for that. Once you've tasted of his presence, his absence is unbearable. And it's the loss of the reality of God in your life that that he's praying for here. Number three, the heart can repent in sorrow. The heart can repent in sorrow when it feels neither the delight nor the longing for delight in God. This is what you have in Psalm 73. I mean, he started looking at all the, the... wicked people and how prosperous they were and he had envy that grew in his heart and then all of a sudden it dawns on him wait a minute they have nothing compared to what i have in you god why am i even comparing myself with you in fact he even says in psalm 73 21 and 22 when my soul was embittered when i was pricked in heart i was brutish and ignorant i was like a beast towards you so he's repenting. He's saying, I, I don't have that delight in you. I don't have that longing for you. But what am I thinking? This is crazy. You're, you're the only one that can satisfy my deepest longing. Here's the last. Uh, God commands. God's command to glorify is an invitation to enjoy him. Bow your heads with me. Just take a moment. Let's prepare our hearts. They're going to pass out communion. Uh,
as they pass this out. If you're not a believer, you can let it pass by. You can become a believer today by acknowledging your sin that separates you from God, just like the woman at the well that recognizes that restlessness within her own heart and realizes that only Jesus can satisfy. He died on the cross so that you could have fullness of life in him. Give your life to him and take communion with us this morning. And just hang on to the communion elements in a few moments. I'll walk us all through the communion process this morning. Just a a great means of grace, an opportunity to, to drink from the river of living water. God, help us to learn here that, uh, that in worship, we don't, we don't feel our, our way into worship, but we worship our way into where we need to, to experience you. And sometimes, God, our feelings are nowhere to be found, but, but God, if we begin to fix our eyes on you and look to you and trust in you, I pray this morning those that are delighting in you that they would continue to find great delight in you. I pray for those that are longing for you that, God, you would give those, those the, a greater glimpse of you and give them a taste of your beauty and your glory. And those this morning that are needing to repent in sorrow that they have neither the delight or the longing. God, let us turn away from those things that have spoiled our appetite for you. May we see you. May we encounter you. Teach us, God, that worship is this soul-satisfying, life-liberating, feasting on the multidimensional beauty and glory of who you are, Jesus, and what you have done that ultimately ruins us for anything else, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are a sports fan, if you've ever watched ESPN, it's interesting how they, uh, they worship. They worship on there. They they have a great play or something and then they'll show it and they'll show it over and over again and then they'll take another angle and they'll look at it and then, uh, and then they'll talk about it and, and the guys will go, wow, that's unbelievable and wow, that's great and it's worship. You know, or whatever network you kind of watch, maybe it's the HGTV or whatever they're watching. Look at this home. Woo-hoo. Oh, that's wonderful. And they're worshiping. That's worship. Worship is, as I said, worship is our response and attention, affection, and action to what we value most. And so when we take communion, what we're, we're saying is, oh my goodness, what an amazing Savior. We're focusing in on Him. We're thinking about, He died for me. He died for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. Oh Lord, let that ravish my heart. Oh God, I know that that's the only thing that can satisfy the deepest longing of my heart. I was created for you to know you, to experience you deep in my heart. And so as we take communion, we're saying through the, through the bread, his body was broken. And through the grape juice, it, he shed his blood for us. So the Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. So God, we are amazed that the God of the galaxies 
would give his life for us to give us fullness of life. And like the woman at the well, Lord, let us see the things that we tend to use as counterfeit gods to substitute for you. And God, God, meet us in our place of restlessness so that uh, or agitation or anxiety or anger or depression. God, you want to meet us right there and meet our deepest needs and longings. Calm our hearts with your presence. May we learn to turn away from those things and, and to identify what we're trying to have met within our soul through those things and have it met in you and knowing you and experiencing you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with me, please? As we conclude our time together, thank you so much for being here. Next week, we'll talk about, uh, we talked about... Uh, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Our text will be the 11th chapter of John. Phenomenal uh, chapter of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Another great story. We'll get another glimpse into Jesus, our Savior. And so here's a statement that I use a lot around here. And I want this to happen to all of us. That God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You were created by God, for God, to give glory to God. And so my prayer for you is that you would be most, that God would be most glorified in you as you are more and more most satisfied in him, that you would understand that the fight of faith every day is to fight to find your deepest satisfaction in him. And when you find your satisfaction in him, you will be crucified to this world for his glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.